The Dot Connectors, brought to you by Omnia Global. Welcome back, everybody, for another episode. And we had a short little break in between, but we're back with a really great episode today. And I had the pleasure of interviewing Clemens Wolf, who is a member of the Omnia Global team and is our investment manager. And we spoke about his background, as we always do with our guests, uh, but a really fascinating career today from investment banking through to being at the helm of an incredibly successful business through to working on a SPAC through to today's role working with Omnia. Uh, We also talk about SPACs in general and then we touch on what Clemens is seeing on the ground right now vis-a-vis funding, investors and just the general market. It is not an episode to miss so please do sit back and enjoy. Clemens, one of my favorite people at Omnia Global. How are you today? Very well, very well. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Obviously, I mean, we don't tell anyone I just said that, but clearly this is going to go out. So I just hope that the people who might be offended by that within Omnia don't listen to this. But anyway, um, as I always ask all of the guests, uh, because this is what British people do. Where are you in the world and what is the weather like right now? I'm currently in Vienna, Austria, mm. and uh, the weather is probably considerably better than in London. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're approximately uh, nine degrees Celsius, but uh, sunny, sunny weather. Oh, um, yeah. As we, as we like to say, emperor's weather in Austria. It's cold <laughs> but sunny. That's the best weather. Anyway, I'm not going to turn this whole podcast episode into a chat about the weather. I probably could, but I won't. And you are right. It is miserable here. But this is not about uh, myself or the weather. This is a chat with you. And obviously, we know one another well. We work together. Um, and I know you as Omnia's investment manager. But I just, for a moment, want to pop that to one side and kind of go back a few years. Uh, and again, this is part of scene setting for our listeners. Tell me a bit about your career uh, today, and more specifically, the business that you previously set up. Perfect. Um so, you know, long, long time ago, I, I studied here in Vienna, uh, focused on, on business administration and economics. And then, you know, I guess at the time, had, uh, had done a couple of internships, of which one was in investment banking in London. Um, and then after, after graduating uh, university, Got an got an offer from that investment bank uh, to to join, um, and join them in their leverage finance and financial sponsors team, which at the end of the day is a, is a pretty you know I think pretty generalist team across products such as M and A or, or or leverage finance or, or risk management, but solely focused on on private equity firms. Um, you know, but, but somewhat pretty similar to what Omnia is, um, and you know, did my did my tour there for for three years, as um, and as you know, many other of my colleagues and many other people in the industry, kind of after three years, thought, do I do I want to do this for the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. And the answer was pretty clearly no. Um, so I decided. 
probably at the beginning of my third year to to kind of have a look around what what other options I had uh, I had open. And typically in investment banking, you will see a lot of people kind of um, you know gravitate towards uh, private equity. Mm-hmm. So going on the buy side, as we as we used to say, or into venture capital. So going on to the investor side. But, you know, I, I kind of for myself always figured that that was just, you know, the flip side of the coin. You're, you know, more or less doing exactly mm-hmm. the same stuff and then had an opportunity um, through a contact of a colleague of mine to um to meet uh, yeah a group of a group of um south african um you know venture capital investors that had a company uh, down in cape town that wasn't running as smoothly as they you know as they would have wanted it to to, to run so i offered them you know to, to to come down and to have a look at that company uh, that company being Compare Guru, so uh, at that time, insurance, uh, you know, price comparison website. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of three days later, uh, hopped on a plane down to Cape Town and, uh, you know, hit the ground running. Uh, had a look at the company, had a look at their operations, their finances, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the, the technical infrastructure. And kind of came to the conclusion that the investors were... You know, you know the way it was running. We're going to burn a lot of cash mm-hmm. uh, going forward. So suggested a plan to kind of turn the company around, um, which they which they seemingly enjoyed. Um, uh, you know, after that became uh, co CEO of the business. Wow! And then at, and then after the turnaround became CEO of the business. And then essentially for three years kind of focused on, you know, after the turnaround, focus on building, you know, the company, getting additional insurers on board, you know, new products, mm-hmm. um, helping people to, to, to compare prices. Um, and then also started buying up small insurance brokerage firms in, in South Africa and in the, in the Western Cape region. And uh, in summer 2019, we were approached, well, actually, we were approached a couple of months before that, but in summer of 2019, we decided to sell the company to a to international insurance software slash insurance technology company called Brisk. Mm-hmm. Um, we're pretty active in emerging markets. And then at the time, I was asked if I wanted to, if I wanted to continue. And I, you know, I, I, for myself, after three years of investment banking and three years of a, you know, turnaround and scaling a business and selling a business, wanted a little bit of free time. So after selling, I came to, to London, mm-hmm. where I started my MBA at London Business School. And uh, then COVID happened, if you remember that. <laughs> um, and during COVID, I thought to myself, well, I'm, you know, locked in in front of a computer anyways, I'm just going to start freelancing. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of through that freelancing activity, a former a former boss of mine from my investment banking days called me and mentioned that he was starting a SPAC with a, with a group of investors. 
and then uh, essentially, you know, spent, I don't uh, nine months, I think, uh, helping them, helping them with their efforts to raise the SPAC. First one was in New York City or New York Stock Exchange, and the second one was in Amsterdam. And then, you know, kind of really much enjoyed the freelancing gig, really much enjoyed the advisory gig. Mm-hmm. And um, through that, got to know a person called uh, Uma Guven from uh, FinTalent, which is a freelance platform and have been doing, or at the time did, did a couple of deals on that freelance platform. Um, which I can absolutely recommend. Great platform, kind of, you know, brings the deals to freelancers. You don't have to worry about client acquisition. And through Irma, I actually met uh, Leonard uh, Hansen first. Mm-hmm. Had a great conversation with him, you know, kind of uh, from, from Omnia's perspective, very much aligned with what I've done historically, namely, you know, entrepreneurship with a, with a twist in the, in the public market space with, uh, you know, a strong SPAC and RTO focus. And we figured, hey, this could be, this could be interesting for both parties to kind of partner up and, you know, for me to help them with their, with their efforts there. And um, since, if I'm not mistaken, February or March of this year, I've been involved with Omnia as an investment manager, kind of helping them with, at this point, uh, all their projects, um, or most of their projects, and working very, very closely with uh, James in the team on all kind of you know public markets related transactions. And Kim, as I must say, you've not probably like myself and like many at Omnia, um, you've not followed a straight line in life. I mean, when I sit there, I, you know, we again we know one another. I didn't appreciate uh, the level of experience uh, simply because you're a very modest chap and and you don't necessarily lord it in any fashion. But wow, Um, you know, for you to spend three years in an investment bank where... You know, we we I was lucky enough to interview interview Umar from from FinTalent, and you know he made it very clear what that world is like. Uh, so I hear you on that kind of three year. Okay, what do I do next? But to then, I suppose a mixture of I guess luck, connections, things aligning, then sort of get into that turnaround of a business, be made a CEO, uh, and then jump into a SPAC. I mean that. That's really impressive. And I'm guessing, forgive me, I'm not going to guess your age, but that was all a fairly young age, I'm guessing, still. Yeah, I mean, the, the, when I came to South Africa, I was uh, 26. Wow. And then at the time of the SPAC, I was probably around 29, 30, something like that. And I'm 32 now, just turned 32. I mean, it's really impressive. And I think, you know, for anybody who hasn't listened to the episode with Finn Talent, who is, we talk about somebody sat there at that kind of uni, you know, college age going, oh, you know, my brother's mother's cousin went into investment banking and I must do that and and follow this sort of very set path that, you know, your elders you know, followed. You don't have to, you know, I think it's about, there's that establishment, as Umar and I discussed, of kind of your foundation, 
Um, but it doesn't have to be a life sentence. And, and, you know, that platform, I absolutely agree, that kind of connection of deals to freelancers. It just, COVID, you know, had all of its bad parts. But I think for people like yourself and anyone looking at investment banking, it kind of just proves that you do have other options. Um, I just really wanted to just touch on the business side of things because, you know, naturally um, you have sort of summarised your career and, and you know, we haven't gone into the, the, the tough parts, but there's always tough parts. That's life full stop. You know, as, as we said, pretty young when you established or when you took over as CEO of that business. Is there something that, that you now know at age 32 that you wished that you, you had have known back then? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the the one kind of truth that I, you know, more or less learned in 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 South Africa, but you know, also in in retrospect, I've also seen in the investment bank is that um, proactivity or being proactive. I don't know what the correct English term is, but proactivity is the is the hardest trait to to hire mm. um, because you know, proactive people start their own companies. They don't, they don't work for the man. And it's something, it's something, you know, that you can try to solve for, or you can accept that, you know, and, you know, bear in mind in South Africa, um, especially with the employee base, that was absolutely great. You just have to work you know, as a, as a, you have to work with the employee base as a CEO in terms of understanding that not everyone cares about this company as much as you do, or as much as, um, you know, as much as your investors do, you know, some people, you know, just have a job as a means to an end, right. Mm. And trying to solve for that by, you know, getting entrepreneurial people in an organization, is is extremely hard mm. because you're either you're not going to get them because they already started their company or you're going to have to pay them a ton of money yeah um to 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 to, to get them into the company i think one thing um that you know nowadays has become more and more popular is kind of incentivizing them to become owners of the of of of, of a portion of the company Right. Mm. It's something that happens quite often in the startup space. Yeah. Um, but that's also just a, a half measure. It is difficult. And I think, you know, I work with with lots of individuals and, and you know, I think it's even more prevalent now that people particularly with COVID, particularly with the blurred lines between working from home, going into an office, I think people really aren't. Uh, living and dying by their jobs I think they've they've seen the benefit of having a bit more personal time but it equally you know in this market where things are getting tough I'm seeing you know that movement particularly around budgets around you know people's sort of being slightly more cautious um, you know I do wonder if there's a shift change back to kind of do you know what I've, I'm going to become really passionate about this job and really invest in it as opposed to this dare I say it kind of even I see it with with PAYE employed people this kind of freelance mindset which has its benefits but equally it's kind of like okay you know if you want to build a business you do need those people that are fully committed rather than kind of going well actually I want to be a 
as, as one would call it, a multi-hyphenate. You know, I'm going to do the day job, but I'm going to do a bit of photography in the evening and a, and a you know, a hobby or two. It's, it's I think we're going to see a shift change. In a good way for business owners, probably not, not, not so much for the employees, but it's, yeah, everywhere I go, people are struggling to hire. And I think sometimes they've got to, they've got to realise where the employee market's at. But as I say, I think, I think it might be somewhat easier um, as we move forward. Um, we mentioned SPACs earlier. There's not a podcast where I don't talk about SPACs in some form or fashion. Um, and you mentioned that obviously, you know, you approached, you worked on on that SPAC, on a SPAC for a period of time. Um, why, why at that time did, did you guys choose to use a SPAC as as the route or as the vehicle? And, and what did you learn about the overall process beyond a SPAC just being simply a financial tool? Look, I think I think having having kind of kind of started uh, the process, I think the the initial thought, um, and you have to see me as kind of an advisor mm. to a a management team. Um, you know, I, I think you know a SPAC in its right still is a financial tool, right? The idea behind it is that of um, you know. A return, capital accumulation, however you want to call it, um, but also, and I've seen this with many other SPACs as well as the one I was working with. Um, obviously, it's a it's at the time a, a great opportunity for a you know very senior kind of management team being able to to take their expertise and to then take that strategic expertise and help out companies that are maybe a little bit earlier in in their beginning right or in the beginning stages of their of their you know uh, life cycle mm-hmm. um, that being said then also on the other hand on the on the founder side there is the ability to you know uh, c- create a brand right or 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 some you know i guess a marketing opportunity because you know you're listing on the New York Stock Exchange. It's going to be all over the newspapers. It's you know it's a lot of free you know marketing, but also for the founders of the companies being able to kind of uh, liquefy their 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 net worth. Right? If you if you think of a you know if you think of your classic startup mm-hmm. um, and your classic startup founders that kind of is knocking at the doors of some of venture capital investors. Um, they they do quite often have somewhat of a difficult time in 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 turning their kind of their shares into into actual cash because it just you know it 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 shows the founders in somewhat of a I wouldn't say bad light but you you get the sense right the mm-hmm. founder is there to believe in the company into all eternity. So an investor is going to ask himself, why would the founder share? Why would the founder sell shares in the you know in the first round of 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 of, uh, of a capital raise or in the second round in the third round, right? Mm-hmm. I think technically what you see is that in Series C investments, it is quite common that founders would sell a little bit of their stake, yeah, um, but a SPAC kind of circumvents the entire. 
problematic of that. It's on the stock exchange. It's a listed equity. Um, you have your reporting standards that are dictated by, you know, the regulator. Um, it's, you know, the regulator, of course, in the U.S. is trying to be, trying to force companies to be as transparent as possible, which, you know, works most of the time, but also other times doesn't work. Um, but it's a great way for, for founders to kind of, as I said, uh, liquefy their net worth, if you want to call it that. And, and we've touched, you know, you, you've been a, I suppose, not quite a founder with the South African uh, business, but, you know, you were, at that, you were at the helm as if you were the founder in a CEO position. We talk about founders and, you know, using SPAC vehicles and, and you know, obviously typically it's, uh, you know, if they, if they approach a PE house, you know, that kind of founder kind of gets pushed to one side and it's, they're not necessarily kind of involved or I guess not necessarily taken into account as much, um, you know, once, once the, 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 you know, the listing or the reverse take of whatever it may be has gone through. I mean, what do you see, given you've sat in that sort of CEO slash founder seat and, you know, you're working with Omnia today and, and working with different portfolio companies with also the founders, do you see that that founder still has an important, you know, role in some form or fashion, obviously prior to to a listing, but equally post a listing, you know, what, what and, and I guess versus a, a private equity house, you know, is there with your role and what you see Omnia doing, is there a point of difference with how we work with founders? Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, there are a couple of uh, discrepancies there. If you look at your classic, uh, you know, venture capital private equity firm, um, they would, you know, typically approach a or be approached by a startup that would, you know, raise their serious or their, no, let's actually start at the beginning, their pre-seed, then they might do, they're going to do their seed round and they're going to do their series A, series B, series C, series D, um, you know, and then it gets wacky with them, maybe a series D plus, and then you have your series E, and then, um, you know, you would kind of, you would kind of get to a stage after that of, of listing the business, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at the process, you're looking at, you know, I would say 10 years plus, um, probably minimum. A founder and having been in the same seat, it does require you to hold a substantial part of your net worth in one investment that within minimum 10 years is probably going to go through a variety of different market cycles, right? Mm -hmm. Markets, you know, they have their booms, they have their busts, they, you know, they go into super cycles. Um, they do all kind of weird, weird stuff, right? Um, companies that go bankrupt sometimes just don't fit into the current cycle. Um, and that's a, you know, that's a, that's already a huge gamble on a, on a, on a huge gamble, which is a, which is a startup or early stage company. And I think where Omnia kind of has taken, uh, historically has taken a little bit of a different approach is to say, you know, we have public markets, we have specialized public markets that are somewhat open to, you know, to, to, to listing, you know, more risky assets, more startup-y assets. Mm -hmm. And we want to help these founders, you know, uh, list via, via an RTO 
and then through the listing, let the market decide and provide capital based on the cyclical need of the business, um, which we think, which Omnia thinks, you know, gives founders and gives the company a whole lot more mm. flexibility because it's being assessed by a whole lot more parties than just your classic private equity and then your classic VC. Um, on the flip side, of course, you know, when everything is going smoothly and when everything is going, you know, amazing, these private equity firms and, you know, typically in a classic investment, you're going to have five, 10, 15 plus investors. Um, they do have a, a, a very, very strong network that will help them you know, grow the business that will, you know, include introductions to, to, to other, you know, uh, startups they might have synergies with or other companies they might have synergies with, you know, getting the right people into the companies, getting the, you know, business development salespeople into the companies, um, which Omnia, you know, as a, as a, as a single entity, I think couldn't match on that, on, on that scale. But that also, and that kind of also is the reason why we at, at Omnia, or at least I haven't seen that happening, is we wouldn't necessarily tap into very early stage mm -hmm. um, kind of projects or very, you know, um, how would you say, like extremely techy or deep technology kind of products, projects. Because, for example, let's take an example, right? I think a quantum computer startup would not be of interest to us because you need a lot of network you need a lot of expertise you need yeah. to be able to call up a lot of universities to get to the right people to hire the right people i think in a public markets environment you know if if you came out of the cycle i think it would be a little bit more difficult for us to deal with projects such as these so that's why we kind of like to stick to our a little bit more mature mm -hmm. um, project. Interesting, and that that I didn't realise that you know that you're you're potentially looking at a ten year process there or period. It's um again you know it's fascinating to understand. Kind of I think the, the media portrays it's that get rich quick overnight. Um, you know certain certain individual type of individual, and that you know it's just just lots of luck and and you know it clearly from talking to lots of founders Daniel yourself James it it's very much about that hard work and and riding riding those those curves if you like um just to finish and I'm going to put you on the spot now Clemens so you can you can uh hate me forevermore rather not um I want to talk about you know kind of the macro environment obviously your role as an investment manager you know whilst I appreciate you're not there working in an analyst role um so you know we're not we're not expecting you to kind of hit us with data here but what you are seeing is kind of that on the ground sentiment working with founders working with different sectors uh, geographies and so forth um you know what what are you seeing that i guess hasn't been reported um in the kind of you know a variety of markets if you like or, or sectors or certain geographies whatever way you know whatever you want to kind of uh summarize things what unreported if you like if there is such a word changes are you seeing right now and if you are willing 
do you think might kind of take effect or, or, you know, change things or sway things come, let's say, January next year? No, that's fair. I mean, from a regional perspective, I think I think I'd probably be best informed in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I'm sure some of this will also apply to the to the to, to North America, considering the you know the, the I guess the links or the or the kind of economic structure both both kind of regions have. But um, yeah, I mean, I I don't know if it's being reported or underreported, but obviously now with with kind of the the whole geopolitical um, uncertainty and, and 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 mixed with with inflation um and and central banks kind of kind of lifting interest rates um uh, what i can you know what i've heard what i've seen and what i've kind of been discussing is that um venture capital investors are becoming a whole lot more you know kind of kind of hesitant to to deploy capital mm-hmm. um if if you think if you just think about how how a you know a private equity firm or a venture capital firm is kind of organized, you would have them raise a fund. So, uh, Lauren Marks Fund One, um, which would have a duration of you know five to five to eight years, and out of that fund, you know, um, people would invest into the fund and would give the fund money for it to deploy the money into you know, reasonable and, and, and good investments that generate a return. Mm-hmm. And what I've been seeing is that the money's not gone, right? Yeah. All the money is still there. Um, if, if you raised a fund, let's say three years ago, the money that you hadn't invested is still in that, in that instrument, in that vehicle. But what I've seen is that, you know, investors are becoming a whole lot more hesitant in deploying it into new ventures. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're having, if you're having, you know, if you're having companies that are that are currently looking to raise, and bear in mind, some of these companies really need to raise money in order to survive. Yeah. Um, what I've seen is that investors are looking at these companies ten times harder than they have before in order to avoid any 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 losses. Right. Of course, losses. Are kind of the name of the game in especially in venture capital, um, but you know it's obviously making it's making the world quite quite difficult for 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 companies that you know require that next capital injection in order to grow their business in order to expand regionally um, or globally, and I think that's also again where where kind of the whole you know SPAC market the whole. RTO kind of play becomes quite, you know, interesting because it's just, you know, it's a, just a different way of, uh, of founders, you know, being able to raise capital in order to continue to grow their business. Um, it's just in a, in a kind of more, you know, public market kind of environment. Bear in mind, obviously, the public markets are also linked to kind of interest rate changes. So they're also not doing amazing right now. But I think what we can what we can see is that that, you know, mid mid tier, lower tier segment seems to still be somewhat active. Okay. Um, So I think it's it's again, it's a it's an interesting, it's an interesting kind of kind of way that that uh, that people should consider more um, in the context of, you know, 
investors being a little bit more hesitant in deploying their capital. And say I'm an investor in, let's say, January, February next year. I mean, gosh, the world is changing so so quickly. I feel like every time I wake up, I'm like, right, what is it today? What is it this week that's just going to come and slap us around the face? Not literally, obviously, but, you know, from wars to the economy and so forth. Obviously, we had COVID back in the day that seems to have kicked off this sort of constantly living in what's next uh, mode. If I am an investor, this this hesitancy, you know, clearly it's the start of a new year, everybody's going to kind of, you know, sit up straight and really, as you say, I think, you know, focus and look hard and really assess uh, fully what it is that they are considering of, de- you know, to deploy funds into. What are you seeing slash what do you think investors, what, what are they going to be looking for in a business? Is it, for instance, you know, clearly a robust, um, you know, business plan as robust as it can be? Is it going to be, you know, uh, that experience in in that management team, you know, the right experience in the right place? What what kind of things, if, if I may ask, do you think investors want to see, say, compared to a year ago that they might have looked at, but not considered as much? Look, I mean, I mean, you, 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 you kind of did answer that question in that they 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 will look at everything mm-hmm. um what what you had just mentioned but it also depends on the stage of 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 where the investment is in so i think if you're looking at a you know at, if you're looking at a very early stage company um i think you know the management team is obviously crucial mm-hmm. um and and there's only so much you know, there's only so much investors can look into the CVs, I guess. Um, but when you start, you know, coming to more, uh, as I said, more mature kind of businesses, you're looking for that robustness of the business model. You're looking for, you know, customer growth, you know, customer retention. You're looking at the cost base. Is the business profitable? What are the margins? How you know how much money does the business need to you know spend in order to expand its operations in different regions? Um, uh, yeah, it, it really just depends on 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 where the business is is currently at. Mm-hmm. But as you already said, it's it's going to be. I don't think the variables have changed as much. Yeah. I think they're just going deeper into the variables and trying to match that with their risk appetite mm-hmm. and also trying to match that with what other businesses that they have already invested into are going to require over the next um, the next couple of well and in general the next couple of months, right? Yeah. If you have an investor that you know has heavy exposure to retail yeah you know and with with you know while it's getting tighter and tighter you know that might not be the best sector to be exposed to therefore they might not be as um as as open to investing into another business because they know their other businesses are requiring are going to require capital to survive yeah yeah um so as i said again I don't think it's the variables that are necessarily going to change. Um, I think they're just going to have a deeper and harder look at the businesses, but also more in the context of what their other businesses are going to require over the um, over the next couple of months. Kind of like a 
worst case, yeah. what happens if the worst case happens? Interesting. And, and you know, you, one could argue that, that those, a founder or series of founders, you know, in a business looking more closely and having a more robust plan or, or site, uh, even if they don't know the full journey, just going a bit deeper is never a bad thing. But it's quite an interesting thing for me to, to understand that, you know, they'll also from an investor perspective, look at what other businesses they've got and what they'll require to kind of keep this. Again, I always use this term like whack-a-mole. Um, you might not remember that game as a child, but, you know, that kind of if if a risk pops up in one area and they kind of hit it on the head and they kind of, you know, uh, ease it by finding a solution, there's probably another risk that's going to pop up with one of their other businesses. So what they don't want is to put a, obviously I'm using a terrible analogy here, but a, a really mi- a risky mole that they can't whack and kind of, you know, temper with a solution which could be as you say in 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 a sector that they know on the face of it is struggling is going to struggle whether whatever it may be retail whatever so no that that's uh, it's been really fascinating and interesting talking to to you Clemens uh, not least because of your background and and what you achieved at, at such a early age and 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 where you are now or it sounds like you've kind of you know used all of that experience and and found your your ideal solution but also your view on SPACs founders and and, and where what you're seeing and I guess what that will spell for founders going forward so thank you your time Clemens I've really enjoyed talking to you today absolutely thank you thank you and listeners um, please remember to rate review and subscribe and we'll catch you next time